Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host and the gang is back together. Joining us today is Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you? Oh, just, you know, happy to be preempted by the news again. Yes, uh, we will try not to be preempted today. Um, Also joining us today is Megan Payne. Megan, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. So on this week's show, we are going to spend the entire show today discussing a case making a broad challenge to Georgia's election laws. This case has been brought by Stacey Abrams' new organization, Fair Fight Action, and the case seeks to force reforms to Georgia's laws and procedures on conducting elections, including a return of preclearance requirements that would force the state to run any changes in election law by the Department of Justice before they could be implemented. Now, that's the only thing we're talking about today because we were also going to talk about two cases that were decided by the Supreme Court one that would allow a citizenship question to be added to the census, and another that would weigh in on partisan gerrymandering. But alas, we are not talking about those things today because the court has not ruled on them yet. They did not issue their rulings with our recording schedule in mind. Though if you're hearing Um, this now, they probably have. Yeah, once you're listening to this, the rulings will probably be out, which means we're going to recap those rulings and their impact on Georgia next week. Um, So one note before we begin, we are planning some long-form content for the dog days of summer before Donald Trump returns is the only thing we're allowed to talk about. So if there's any big topics in Georgia politics that you want to hear about, let us know. You can email us at peachpod.podcast at gmail.com or send us a note on Facebook or Twitter. Just search PeachPod. And before we dive into the first topic today, uh, Megan, there's a very important anniversary today to share with our listeners. Yeah, so today is the fourth anniversary of Obergefell versus Hodges. Um, This is the same-sex marriage ruling, and it legalized same-sex marriage nationwide. So we're celebrating it today. It's fun that it lands during Pride Month. Um, So yeah, happy Pride Month, y'all, and happy legal same-sex marriage. Woo! Yeah, happy Pride Month, y'all. All All right, so let's start with our first topic this week, uh, our our only topic this week. So yesterday, Stacey Abrams testified before a House subcommittee about the impact of a 2013 Supreme Court ruling limiting the Voting Rights Act, and that testimony aligned with a voting rights lawsuit filed by her nonprofit, Fair Fight Action, that makes this comprehensive challenge to the state's election system that we're discussing today. So Luke, can you just start by laying out what the argument here is and and how many aspects of Georgia's voting system are being targeted by this lawsuit? I mean, it would not be an exaggeration to say that almost the entire voting system in Georgia is being challenged by this lawsuit. It's pretty expansive. On the show, we've talked before about the lawsuit that has been targeting and going on for quite some time that's focused on the voting machines in Georgia. This case is much, much bigger than that and basically encompasses the entire voting system and alleging a variety of constitutional and voting rights act violations as well as some uh, alleging other federal voting rights laws uh, beyond the voting rights act as, as being violated so it is pretty expansive and it would be easier to answer uh what it doesn't cover and i'm not really sure what the answer to that is uh because it just covers so much 
Yeah, for for people who've been following this topic for a while, uh, some of these specific policies are going to be familiar to you. Uh, It includes the use it or lose it process that has been used to purge voters from the voting list. It includes the exact match process that requires an exact match between the information you provide when you register to vote and the database that is used to match that information. Um, It also challenges the use of voting machines that that they describe as unreliable and vulnerable to manipulation. It challenges the Secretary of State's office's promotion of moving and closing precincts, which should remind you of what happened in and, well, which should remind you of what almost happened in Randolph County prior to the 2018 election. And then they also challenged the lack of adequate resources for polling places, inadequate training for local elections officials, and inadequate oversight of absentee ballots. Um, Megan, I don't think that we've really had a chance to discuss this case with you before. So what is your reaction to a case that takes this really broad look at Georgia's voting system? So I have kind of mixed feelings on it. My first feeling is good. Somebody needs to take a look at this. We need to totally overhaul Georgia's voting system. It needs to be fair. It needs to be, um, it needs to allow people to vote who actually (laughs) should be able to vote. It should not just disenfranchise voters. It should be a good thing. And it's not. Um, But with it being such a broad case, especially since I'm sure we'll touch on this more later, pieces of the case have already... um, kind of changed with other legislation that's occurred. It's it's a bit sticky. It's it's really challenging to take such a big case and to make sweeping change. It might have been easier to do it in small pieces, but, you know, there's no going back now. Luke, I th- I think that part of this case actually is built on the theory of challenging these things all at once. Why would uh Abrams group here, Fair Fight Action, why would they build this case with such a large large breadth uh, challenging the system? Well, surprisingly, one of the reasons they would do this is, believe it or not, Bush v. Gore. So Bush v. Gore, as most people probably know, is the case that made George W. Bush the president. And most people, uh, usually when they think about that case, if they are Supreme Court watchers, they know that that was a five to four decision. However, they're you know, like many Supreme Court decisions, there's multiple parts. And so the part that made George W. Bush the president was, in fact, 5-4. But there is also an equal protection argument that was 7-2. This is an argument that people have used since Bush v. Gore with little success. But it's an interesting one in the case of the, the Abrams group here because basically the argument in Bush v. Gore was that the equal protection violation was that due to the just chaos related with the recount process, the fact that, you know, if you had like a dimpled, you know, because going back to Bush v. Gore, they used like punch cards to like vote and you have to use a little rod to punch out who you wanted to vote for. So like the whole hanging Chad situation. So what was going on in Florida is a county like on Monday could say a hanging Chad is a vote. And then on Wednesday, they would say it's not a vote. And so if you had if your ballot had come up on Monday, it would be a vote. But if it come up on Wednesday, it was not. So basically, the court said just all these different procedures, all these different counties are doing it differently. That's unacceptable. That's equal protection violation. Voting is a fundamental right. And this is clearly objectionable. 
So Abrams is taking that same logic, Ang Fair Fight Action is taking that same logic, and they're applying it to the Georgia voting system in totality. So they're saying that, you know, like if one county would say if a name is missing a hyphen, that violates exact match, and they're blown, you know, they should be thrown out, and another county doesn't say that. That is an equal protection violation in the same way that Bush v. Gore had an equal protection violation. And part of the problem with this is that in their, you know, their brief, they're not just arguing malevolence on the part of Republican administrations. I mean, they're also arguing incompetence that the even if exact match was, you know, okay, they're not providing enough training so that the counties know how to implement it properly. And similarly, they have incorporated the DRE, the voting machine aspects of the other case and talking about all the problems with machines, all the problems with them not having power supplies or people not being trained how to make them work. This is creating an environment in Georgia where the right to vote, which again, the court has said is a fundamental right, is being violated because of lack of resources, lack of training, and lack of consistency. And so, for their case, it's really important that this is all in one package because they can attack it all at once and say, in totality, people's right to vote is being abridged by all of these malevolent and incompetent decisions. But is the case now out of danger Uh, of being dismissed um, because the Raffensperger argument that the new Georgia laws remedied some of the issues um, was brought up as a motion to dismiss the case. Can that still happen? Or is now that that's happened, we're saying it, the pieces are fine. So on the DRE case, which is again, a much smaller case than this one, uh, judge Togenberg, the federal judge who has been handling that case already threw out that argument and basically completely rejected it. So I think for the fair fight action case, but I think they already, they already got their motion to dismiss thrown out too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Their motion to dismiss has been denied basically on the same point. I think this is what in some ways can make this case challenging though, because part of the argument implicit here is that all of these things together create this environment that is a violation of equal protection. They also lay out violations of a fundamental right to vote, violation of a legal ban on racial discrimination in voting, a violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, and uh, uh, a point specific to the voting machines. They're also alleging a violation of the Help America Vote Act of 2002. So there's a wide legal argument being made here. But to the extent that Georgia law has addressed some of these issues already that does, I think, subtract from the overall environment that they're, that they're arguing has been created. But my understanding of the motion to dismiss ruling so far is that they wanted the that Raffensperger wanted the entire case dismissed because of the law that was passed this last legislative session that allowed for uh, the purchase of new voting machines and made some of these changes. Uh, But because the law did not address the entire waterfront of issues being discussed here, that's why the judge allowed the case to move forward. Um, it, it, It isn't a ruling on the merits of whether or not some of these issues no longer matter. That does weaken the overall case, though, correct? So all the changes that have been made to Georgia law will obviously affect the case. I don't think it like, I don't think it's the difference between Abrams and Fair Fight winning and Abrams and Fair Fight losing. I think had the court taken this case and gone up 
like they're going to win or lose based on the totality of this argument and not the changes that was made with the legislation last session. And that's frankly just because the legislation last session didn't do all that much. And Abrams's uh, updated complaint does sort of contemplate the idea that they could take use it or lose it or exact match off the table temporarily, but they could just bring it back later. And, and, you know, that kind of comes into their malevolence arguments uh, where, you know, they, they are obviously trying to create a stronger foundation for them in court and that they should not, you know, have the opportunity to ever bring it back based off of the racial uh, disparities in those policies. Because as Kyle mentioned, you know, part of the, there's, there's a lot of different challenges. And I think that's a strength of the case, not a weakness. It's because they're alleging so many different violations that are of different nature. So section two of the Voting Rights Act basically uh, is unfamiliar language to most people. But the, the idea behind section two is that you can't abridge minorities the opportunity to elect their quote-unquote candidate of choice. Uh, and she's arguing that because of the incredible racial disparities in a lot of these policies and just the history of since after uh, Shelby Counter versus Holder of the state really working hard in, uh, I mean, no other way to put it, of purging minority voters, that they are violating Section 2 as well. So it's it's one of those things where all these different arguments are separate, but they build on each other of a foundation to show a lot of violations that one or two small fixes on the margins probably will not be enough for them to succeed if the case was going if the case was going to uh, succeed for Raffensperger in the first place. Gotcha. So, I mean, that's a relief for me to hear because that was my biggest concern with this, that, you know, these other changes would make the case weak or just not able to be heard. So, Good. Excellent. Yeah, just based off what Judge Toenberg said in the DRE case, which again, much smaller case than Abrams, I, she she was pretty frustrated with the voting machines and did not have a lot of confidence in DREs just based off of her original ruling and the uh, motion to dismiss. So I, I suspect that that is going to be a hanging point. Uh, for her now we're going to appeals court or the supreme court does with it that that's a different story but it seems like there's still a lot of concerns around the voting machines themselves gotcha yeah now one other challenge that's probably worth considering is that one element of this is a challenge to the use it or lose it voter purge process Uh, but there was a supreme court case last year that considered a similar process in ohio and it um upheld the process in ohio so that is an element that, at least if this ends up in the Supreme Court, that's an element where the court has already weighed in and, and didn't rule in Abrams' favor. But I think, you know, the the interesting thing to remember here is that there's a lot of remedies being sought by Abrams, uh, by the group in this case, Fair Fight Action. I mean, we should note Fair Fight Action has filed this case along with several um, large churches in Georgia, including Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Raphael Warnock is um, pastor, he's he's a, a perennially considered to be a Senate candidate, but as far as we know, he's not running for Senate right now. But 
this case may not actually end up make it back to making it back to the Supreme Court. One of the remedies that Abrams is seeking is the reinstitution of preclearance, uh, which requires the Department of Justice to weigh in on any changes if you're a state that is subject to preclearance. Uh, but there is a limited history of jurisdictions freed from preclearance under the 2013 decision being put back under preclearance by the courts. So in January of 2017, there was a court that ruled that Pasadena, Texas, had willfully diluted the power of Latino voters when they changed the structure of their city council elections. The city created two at-large seats on their eight-seat city council and then condensed residents from eight districts to six in a way that diluted Latino uh, participation in that uh, election and the court put them back under preclearance. And a similar situation happened in 2014 in Evergreen, Alabama, and that city was also put back under preclearance. So there is some uh, history for this here, but these were two pretty small cities that had done things that were really deliberate in city elections. And the argument that Abrams is making is, is, is of course, statewide, relies on the conduct of state officials and local officials. And is you know she has to she has to prove sort of like willful intent here in a way that was easy to prove in these other two cases. Well, they she doesn't necessarily have to prove willful intent because with the Voting Rights Act, it actually specifically says, uh, you, you know, will it, it's it's intent or effect. So uh, on that front, she does have an advantage. The other thing is, I would agree with you. The Ohio voting purge case is bad for fair fight. But there is one major difference, which is Ohio has a significantly smaller minority population than Georgia does, and Ohio was not under the Voting Rights Act originally. And I think, you know, if Abrams wins this case and Fair Fight wins this case, it would sort of be a scenario where someone on the court uh, who voted the other way in Shelby County versus Holger has to acknowledge that, you know, Ginsburg was right and that when it's raining, you should not get rid of your umbrella because you're not wet. This discussion around this case really dovetails with what Stacey Abrams told a subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee uh, this week. She testified before the committee about the impact of the 2013 Shelby County decision and and basically laid out a similar argument that she's laying out here. One really interesting note from her testimony was she said that since the Shelby County ruling, 156 of Georgia's 159 counties have removed a higher rate of voters from the rolls than they did prior to that decision. Um, she also noted that the exact match policy that the state used uh, that was uh, challenged in court and then put into state law and used again uh, to great effect this last le- this last election, uh, that that policy itself was denied under preclearance before the Shelby County ruling in 2013. This was denied in 2009. Do y'all have any reactions just generally to Abrams' testimony or to her bringing this message directly to the U.S. House? Good on her. It's like, I'm fully team Abrams on on what she's got to say on this case. So I'm just really glad that, or, you know, not just the case, but just anything that she says related to uh, voter rights in Georgia, so, or the United States in general. So absolutely, go girl. I'm happy that this issue is getting the attention that it deserves because even before Shelby County versus Holger, there was a lot of voting rights and voting problems in the United States. And 
Uh, it's something that doesn't get a lot of attention. So in sort of a weird reverse psychology way, having all these problems in Georgia has is probably good for the country because they're on a level and on a scale that is not the commonplace stuff that's happening around the country that's unacceptable. And so that shock value uh, being highlighted, I think, is good in the long run because it puts this issue into people's consciousness, which I think is really, really important because this is happening everywhere. It's just happening a lot quieter. And so now that we have a case that unfortunately is our beloved Georgia that people can talk about and latch on to, I think that is why you're seeing... You know, today, Joe Biden or yesterday put out a video uh, saying that the Voting Rights Act is why he got involved in politics. You had Elizabeth Warren coming out with a voting rights plan. I, 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 this is not a coincidence. It's because of Abrams and other people like her talking about this issue and just the uh, scale and scope of what we've seen. And unfortunately, so the, since the Supreme Court works on its own schedule, we don't know if... Uh, they are going to continue to let this problem uh, grow and get worse and potentially completely cut off people's opportunity to challenge partisan gerrymandering cases. But right now, the front lines of this are in the courts, and that's due to the makeup of the government right now. But, I mean, if a new administration is in federally, I think voting rights is, is going to be one of the things on the top of the agenda because it's obviously reached a, a point that's unacceptable for the vast majority of Americans. Yeah, I think another important thing to note here is that, you know, despite the fact that we've talked about this as an issue in the courts, uh, the 2013 Shelby County decision never precluded Congress from coming back and reinstituting the formula that was struck down in that ruling. They just had to come up with a different formula that was relevant to the information on the ground at the time. So I think what is important about Stacey Abrams' testimony this week is that she is helping to build a record about the conditions on the ground. Uh, she's collecting evidence in the process of uh, the court case by doing interviews of people to describing their own issues with voting. Um, and then that record lays the groundwork for what would hopefully be congressional action under a different administration and, and with a different U.S. Senate. What do y'all think about this issue progressing in Congress or in the 2020 presidential election versus in the courts? Do you think that this is an issue that will galvanize Democrats and, and bring them to the polls to, to help people protect the right to vote? I do think that this will galvanize voters. I think that we'll see galvanization in two ways, actually. First, we'll see people coming out to vote for the candidate that's actually going to support their right to vote. As the progressive left, we want to see candidates that are going to actually fight for us and that are going to actually do what they say they're going to do. And so I think you'll see a lot of people come out to support those candidates. But I also think you'll see an uptick in voters just for the reasons of trying to test this out, right? So there, I know several people who wondered if they were going to get caught by exact match and they made sure to go to the polls and just to see what would happen. Or they made sure that their registration was correct and went and used it and made sure that they could vote. So I think that this is going to be a twofold issue. And I think either way, it's going to send people to the polls either out of curiosity or for support of a certain candidate. 
which hilariously is exactly what uh, justices like John Roberts think should happen because one of the reasons why the court is so hesitant to get in this area, especially with partisan gerrymandering, is that even people like Justice Kennedy, who very strongly said, I really don't like partisan gerrymandering, and, and pretty much everyone on the court is like that in saying that they don't like partisan gerrymandering or they don't like these policies. Uh, but especially with the partisan gerrymandering one, they, they say it's not judiciable in the sense that like, this is just something courts aren't here to solve. And it's something that the political process needs to solve. And I think uh, the court is misguided in that, but I think uh, like the voting rights act itself, if we come to a legislative solution to these problems, I think that in the long run will be better and uh, more likely to hold up over the test of time because one of the really good pieces of news in all of this is is what Kyle said and he kind of buried the league, but like the Voting Rights Act was not struck down for what it does. It was struck down for how it picked who faced the full brunt of the Voting Rights Act. And so Congress has the ability, if it wanted to, to say that everybody is subject to subject to, to Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Now, that probably isn't a great idea uh, because it's a lot of paperwork for a lot of jurisdictions that probably don't need it. But as long as they came up with a formula or a rationale for who's under the, the Section 5, the preclearance element, the court has no problem with that. And so this is not one of those areas where the court is really in the way of what progressives want. Um, I think that's really important to remember because as far as like goals that are achievable, it is possible to elect a Congress, a Senate and a president that are willing to, to reauthorize the voting rights act because before Shelby County versus Holger, this was like a joke vote to reauthorize the voting rights act. It's one of those things that like pretty much everyone voted for. And so it's one of those things where if, if put on the floor, maybe today's Republican party would not be unanimous in it, but it would be pretty, you know, it'd be a hard sell, but it's one of those things that again, uh, you know, if Mitch McConnell remains majority leader of the Senate, he just would not bring up. Uh, but Focusing on winning elections is going to be the best way to improve things in this area. And unlike things like Medicare for All or the Green New Deal, this is an area where the courts are not against enforcement. They're just uh, wary about how jurisdictions got picked. Um, and so unless there's a radical change in the jurisprudence, uh, that that's something to be very hopeful about because I think it's it's one of those things where uh, if the votes are there, it could get done. Now, I do wonder if you really could, without a rationale, put every jurisdiction under preclearance. Republicans in the, the hearing that Abrams testified at seemed to kind of fire a shot at that preemptively because they they described it as a 10th amendment issue that the the 10th amendment means that congress is not uh enumerated with the power to regulate state elections and that they would be overstepping their bounds if they tried to do it for everyone but that bec that the reason that it was allowable under the voting rights act in 1965 was that the formula that was used was a 
a good realistic description of the policies that were in place at the state level that were preventing primarily African Americans from voting, things like literacy tests and poll tests and intimidation tactics. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious, but I don't well, know that I mean, you I mean, could put every jurisdiction under without a reason. Yeah, and to be fair, they very well might be right. I mean, I, the the reasons why you would do it are articulable, which is, you know, basically we want as many people to be able to vote as possible, and this is a way to ensure that. Um, I think that is a harder case than targeting jurisdictions that have clearly violating the goals of the Voting Rights Act. Well, this is part of the record-building activity that Abrams is doing here. Yes, which is excellent, because one of the harder things to do is to prove, you know, harm and to prove that these policies in a real way have had a disparate impact. And I think Abrams has done, and Fair Fight has done a really good job in, in starting to build that. And I think compared to a lot of the other voting rights cases that I've seen go to the Supreme Court, this one is just bigger. It's a lot bigger because it's attacking pretty much every element of the process. Like it it attacks registration. It attacks how registrations are processed. It attacks how registrations are maintained. It attacks how people vote on the day of. It attacks how people are absentee vote. You know, like it just attacks everything. And on that sense, I think that makes it a lot stronger than a lot of these other cases that have been more targeted towards like this one policy is a violation. I think Abrams is in the fair fight suit is interesting because it kind of attacks the whole system. And I, I might just not know of it, but I can't really think of another lawsuit that attacks the whole thing. So one objection that Republicans raise to this argument generally is that despite the claims that Abrams makes, voter turnout in the 2018 elections was one of the highest turnout elections that Georgia has ever seen. Both Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp got more votes as candidates for governor than any prior candidate for governor ever. Um, Here is how Stacey Abrams dispatches with that argument. I I do think, and I want to reiterate, this false connection that's being drawn between voter turnout rates among communities of color and voter suppression. Okay. These are not correlated. One can have intentional intentional laws and practices to discriminate against voters and have a concomitant effort by communities that care about these issues to push back and to provide access. Right. I'm a part of a, a long legacy of people who've responded to oppression by making certain that we overreact and that we overperform. But we cannot ignore the fact that that discrimination still exists. Discrimination doesn't seem to exist, doesn't cease to exist simply because there are those who are willing to fight back. That fighting back should demonstrate how important it is to eliminate the discrimination on its face. So what do y'all think about the way uh, Abrams lays out that case here? I think it's absolutely right. I mean, the the thing is, is like, turnout being higher than ever is not an excuse for trying to reduce turnout or trying or not like being able to provide a voting system that gives everybody who wants an opportunity to vote to vote because in a lot of these cases and again like incompetence is a big part of Abrams's case and saying that the you know successive Republican administrations have just not been prepared 
for the scale and interest of people wanting to vote in Georgia. And so, you know, saying that like voting is better than ever is not acceptable when you have so many people wanting to vote and claiming that they were not able to, you know, again, like just going back to previous Supreme Court cases, voting is a fundamental right. And just because more people are able to vote than ever does not excuse people not being able to vote when they want to and they have bureaucratic barriers up preventing them from voting. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it kind of goes back to the statement I made earlier about how there will be some people that are going to turn out to vote just to see if it's going to work for them. And, you know, some of those people are legitimately not going to be able to vote. And so we'll we'll have voters turn out that are going to literally get turned away from the polls or they'll have to cast a provisional ballot that may or may not get counted. And that's not okay. It, it is literally a fundamental right, and we should be able to uphold that. Yeah, I think the other thing that's important that's at play here is Abrams in this hearing got asked, beyond looking at the past to find patterns of discrimination, are there other standards by which states or localities should be brought into preclearance? And she said, well, you can also look at what is going on in in legislatures across the country in the present day, because as particularly states like Georgia have become more diverse, you are seeing Republican governments uh, institute new barriers to voting, things that things that include strict voter ID laws, limits on who can assist voters at polling places, limits on early voting days, and closure of polling places. Um, all of these are things that would have been subject to preclearance under the Voting Rights Act that are now allowable that states are doing. But in addition to that, states are kind of opening up this new front by putting regulations and punishments on groups that are doing voter registration. So there's new laws in Tennessee and Texas that penalize these voter registration groups for inaccurate or incomplete forms. And one of the objections to those laws that was raised by a voter registration group in Tennessee was that, well, current state law requires us to turn in all forms, regardless of whether they're complete or not. And so it's unclear if that law was going to change, but it seemed like you could get punished for doing the thing that you were required to do by law. In any event, fines or uh, being convicted of a misdemeanor under these laws would serve to chill voter registration efforts in these states. And that to me, you know, when you look across a whole wide variety of things going on um, in Republican policymaking these days, chilling the actions of your political opponents is, seems to be this common theme, whether you're looking at Trump's policies on immigration, whether you're looking at the census question that we'll talk about next week, or whether you're looking at some of these changes to voting rights and, and laws around voting chilling the participation of your political opponents is, is a strategy here. And that's another place where you could look for evidence of discriminatory intent. Persuasion is hard. That topic just gets me all kinds of riled up because nothing gets me more upset than when I hear candidates talking about, oh, well, we can't, we have to be careful about how we campaign so we don't turn out the opponents. I'm like, dude, turn them out. Everyone gets to vote. Like that's, that's what, that's what our government is based on. Let's run on, run on something that's like worth voting for. 
anyway, that's just my little soapbox. It pisses me off every time I hear it. And I understand that from a strategic standpoint, not getting your opponent's supporters to vote is something that works. Still pisses me off. You know, federal action isn't the only thing uh, that, you know, can be done to solve this issue. Uh, I, I'm a little biased because I helped uh, craft HB 283, which was the Georgia Voting Rights Act that was uh, dropped by Representative Holcomb and a lot of prominent Democrats, including, including our good friend Representative Spencer Fry and Representative Bob Trammell, uh, the current minority leader, uh, dropped it. And, you know, it would basically address all of these issues. And the, the primary thing that it would do is... It would put an obligation on the state that its its goal as a matter of state law is to increase turnout as much as it possibly can and re- remove any and all bureaucratic barriers to you know the fundamental right to vote in the state of Georgia. And so I think it's one of those issues that if people keep getting pissed off about it and keep a lot of focus on it, it's it's going to improve. And the reason I feel that way is because in the states that have the ability to bring up propositions where voters can sign petitions to make things happen, so many of them have passed, you know, independent redistricting commissions, voting rights commissions, nonpartisan redistricting commissions, like every state almost that has the ability to bring these things up have done some version of it and it's and they've been very very successful and so i think it's one of those issues that if it was ever on the ballot up or down pretty much everybody would say yes but unfortunately states like georgia don't give its voters an opportunity to proactively bring something we do get to choose to you know accept or reject uh constitutional amendments but you know we don't get to actually propose things to the legislature so i think it's it's an issue that people most most americans are on the right side of and they want it's just it hasn't reached that boiling temperature yet where action is the only option that most people find acceptable and i think i think we're getting there and one of the reasons i feel very confident about this issue's future is it's one that the united states over its history has dealt with over and over and over again and we pretty much go through the same process every time where we expand the right to vote and then we start curtailing it and then people get mad and people start complaining about it and then eventually it gets fixed so i I would be surprised if the situation did not improve significantly in in in, you know the, the next couple years hopefully in the decade if if not sooner All right. Well, uh, yeah, that is another reminder, as always, to not only pay attention to your federal elections, but pay attention to your state and local elections as well. And for our listeners, I guess you probably ought to be glad that uh, the Supreme Court uh, did not wait for our recording session to do their other rulings, because otherwise this episode would have been two hours instead of one. Uh, But with that, we are going to leave it there this week. Uh, So Luke and Megan, thank you for another wonderful podcast. And we will talk to y'all again next week. Thanks, Kyle. Goodbye. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.